All right, so we're uh, continuing on in our series in Colossians. Uh, we're going to be reading Colossians 2, 6 through 10. If you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, please do so. Some guys are coming down with Bibles. If you need a Bible, they'll, they'll have one for you. Just raise your hand. It's, and if you need a Bible to keep, it's yours to keep forever. And we're going to, again, we're going to be reading Colossians 2, uh, 6 through 10. And it reads, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Let's pray. God, again, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul who wrote this letter to this little church, Lord. And now we get to read it a couple thousand years later, Lord, and seeing uh, you working then as you are working now and you will continue to work, Lord. I just pray that um, through this time that you speak through me, whatever you want me to say, I say whatever you don't, that I don't. Prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Thank you for being such a great God to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. May have a seat. <clears throat> so you, you've, if, you, if you lived more than like five minutes on this earth, you probably heard... Um, the phrase, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of whatever, the fence, the yard. And uh, I, I remember uh, hearing, uh, being a part of a conversation. It was, uh, I think I was uh, in a college group uh, devotion study. And uh, I just, and I remember specifically going through this and then hearing all the cool cliches that go along with it. Uh, and, I, and I wrote them down, you know, water your own lawn, don't look at someone else's lawn, um, make sure you have fertilizer in your lawn, and uh, plant some trees in your lawn. I mean, they went on and on and on, and, and um, a lot of squirrel moments, a lot of going off, and I really enjoy those times. But I remember that uh, when uh, the guy who was teaching this was talking about this, and we were all shaking our heads, you know, yeah, grow, water your own lawn, the grass isn't always greener, giving examples where we chase things, where we didn't... Uh, Phil led, we just wanted something a little bit more. And I remember someone asked, and I, I just phrased it this way, someone asked the realest question of the night. The realest question of the night. They said, well, what happens if you feel like you're just standing on dirt and rocks? What happens if you're just standing on dirt and rocks and you actually don't see any grass anywhere? So how is grass greener anywhere if all you see is dirt and rocks? And you know that moment when someone asks like a real question, a realist question, and everyone gets quiet and they look down because no one wants to answer? But that's a great question, right? What happens if you just feel like you're standing on dirt and rocks and you don't, you're not quite sure what grass is? I mean, you understand grass. You have a lawn. You've seen a park. You've seen grass. But in this Christian life, we talk about our roots growing deep. We just read that. But what happens if all you feel like you're doing is you're standing on this dirt, your pavement, this rocks, and, you, and there isn't any hope is really what this question was. And, and 
for me, when that question was asked, I think, man, how, how often do we just take these cliches, these Christian cliches, these, these uh, Christianese or whatever you want to call it, these statements, and, and, and not that they're bad or anything, but what happens if we really break them down and be honest with ourselves or honest with other people about what's really going on in their life? And so what happens if you're standing in dirt and rocks and you're not even worried about someone else's grass, you're just worried, well, where is it? And, and, and really what Paul is doing here is he's, he's kind of answering that question. He's going through this uh, with this church. Just a quick reminder of what's going on. He wrote this, this letter to this church while he was in jail. And they were a new church, five years old roughly is, is what the guesstimation is. And some bad theology and bad teachings were uh, coming into the church. And they just needed some encouragement is what they needed. They wanted to make sure they were doing the right thing. And um, they were strong believers, but yet there's some people who came in that were new and started challenging some of the ways of thinking. So as we've been going through, last, last week we talked about going through rough seasons, good seasons, bad seasons. We talked about that in different kind of seasons. And, and at the heart of it, really, a season, regardless of what season we're in, it's really based on our attitude. And our attitude is really based on a relationship with Christ. But now, now Paul is moving along. He makes this statement, and now he's moving along, and, and he says right away, verse 6, he says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, stop right there, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, now that you've been saved, now that you have salvation, now that you've recognized that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you confessed your sins, you believe in what he's done on the cross, that he died and rose again. That the sins that separated you from God, he, he's taken the, the punishment for them. Now that you have that, you must continue to follow him. Now that you have salvation, you must continue to follow him. What I did in, in, in my Bible is I wrote this, and you could do the same if you're comfortable writing in your Bible. Where it, where it says you must continue to follow him, I wrote Dallas, you must continue to follow him. Put your name there. David, you must continue to follow him. Chris, you must continue to follow him. Melissa, you must continue to follow him. Write your name in that. You must continue. It's, it's, it's a strong emphasis. You know when, when you're speaking to someone and you really want to emphasize it? You must. You've got to. I, it's, I can't express it enough. You must follow him. But why? Why must we follow him? What's the, what's the point of following him? And one thing that I've noticed about most Christian families is, especially as parents, is there's this fear as parents, that parents carry this, this fear. And the fear comes in to any kinds of form. But basically, at the end of the day, this fear is, how do, I, how do, we, how do I raise my child to be a follower of Christ? And if you don't have children, or if you're a student in the back there, don't worry, it's for you too. But this fear, I, and, and, and if you're honest, I mean, I ask myself, and I have this conversation with my wife, Natalie, quite often is, I hope we're not screwing this up. I mean, if I'm on, I hope we're not blowing it big time. I mean, if we took a survey, did, has anyone felt like they've blown it as a parent? Right? How about a grandparent? Perfect, right? No. But I mean, you, you just, you praying, oh God, despite me, let them be halfway decent. I mean, these are kind of the prayers that we're praying. But if, if we're honest, we may even whisper in our prayers to God, 
I don't know what I'm doing. And not even as parents, as grandparents, there's this weird sense that, that movies have made grandparents like these fairy godmother, godfathers with magical wands. I've never met a grandparent with a magical wand. What, even, even going beyond being a parent, sometimes just feeling like a human being, Lord, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to be a good employee, a good employer. Lord, I feel like I'm blowing this opportunity for you. Um, and, then, and then we come up with statements. I, I kind of went through and I tried to find all these statements that, that are made, not necessarily Christian statements, and, and try to figure out which one bothered me the most so I would share it with you. Um, I'm weird, I know, but what I wrote down is the one that, that really bothered me the most that I found this week was the one when people say, fake it till you make it. And you know what? I've said it before. I feel like, uh, the first time I, I ever got a job, I, I said it, you know, um, sweeping floors. Do you know how to sweep floors? Oh yeah. Do you know how to, yeah, fake it till you make it right. That makes sense. Right? It sounds like, well, just act like you know what you're doing and somewhere along the line you'll figure it out. But it's not true. Nothing in that statement really is true. You don't fake anything until you make it. How do you fake something that you don't know, which is awful? And really, we have to be in God, in Christ. So perhaps instead of saying fake it till you make it, I wrote down, don't fake it, just get up again. Just get up again. Because really what we're saying is, when we say fake it till you make it, is I'm going to blow this, I'm going to mess this up, I'm not perfect, I understand that. But don't pretend. Don't pretend that there's something not wrong. Don't pretend that you're perfect. Don't pretend that you got it all together. Don't pretend that you put on your face when you show up on church, when you show up to life group, when you show up to youth group. Don't pretend. Be honest. And when you're honest, get up again. And that's what Paul is really trying to press to encourage. You must follow. And as parents, um, again, going back to that whole thing, you know, there's no such thing as perfect parents. I didn't have perfect parents. You didn't have perfect parents. You're not a perfect parent. None of us are. None of us are perfect anything, right? Except being pretty bad. We're pretty good at that. But, but what it is, is I would suggest that even this, this sense of insecurity and in our ability to do things doesn't start when you're a parent, doesn't start necessarily when you get a new job, when, when you go to a new school. I think it comes much sooner. And, and, and what it is I really see is whenever uh, Paul is talking about you must, this is this word sanctification that we're talking about. It's being made holy, which means being set apart, which it, to break it down, super basic. It means be more like Christ. Don't fake it. So what we're seeing is this sense of urgency in Paul's writing when he says, you must do this. So what does that mean for parents who are praying at, at the end of the night or the beginning of the day or all day long? Please, Lord, don't, don't let me mess this up. I've totally blown it. And, and, and at the heart of it is... What people need to see in us, what our children need to see, what our coworkers need to see, our spouses, other people, is they just need to see, and I wrote down parents who are dead tired, who still read their devotions, who are half falling asleep while they're praying for one another. That's what kids, children need to see. They don't need to see perfection. 
They don't need to see any of that. When, when something happens unexpected, a bad loss, a bad situation, bad news, bad season like last week, they cling to God. That's what they need to see. See parents who, when they have huge unexpected success, a wonderful windfall, they cling to God. That's what our coworkers need to see. And here's the key for the students in the back, and I won't look at you because I already did. Uh, who've been uh, checking out because I said parents and marriage and you rolled your eyes perhaps like I do. Um, What does it look like for this sobering thought? Chances are that in your life, somewhere, some instance, you may be the only Christ follower someone sees. I remember the first time I heard that, that was such a sobering thought. You mean I may, for the first time in a long time in someone's life, be the only Christ follower that person sees, I got to pick up my game, Jackson. But what does that mean? What is Paul saying? You must follow. It has to be more than our own abilities. Because I don't know about you, but I've seen me in action and I'm not too good. So Paul is telling this church again in Colossians that all these seasons, all these bad situations, all this weird things that are coming in, he says, you've been saved by Jesus Christ. You must follow him. For your sake and the other's sake. And, I, and again, I'm not 100% sure when I realized this. But there's something else that I realized. That this whole grass is greener. Someone else can do it better. I want to do better. Instead of taking care of growing in Christ. Is comparison. This joy and peace stealer called comparison. And I think with social media it's become an awful tool to compare one another. And just real quick, if you post something, how many times a day do you go back to see how many hearts you got? How many likes you got? How many comments you got? I remember when Facebook first came out, you could actually give someone a thumbs down on their photos or their comments. And that hurt people's feelings, so they took it away. So now it's only thumbs up, and now you can do a happy face, angry face, teary face, what other other face. And even on Instagram or on whenever you're tweeting, if someone retweets it. Like we compare so much. We, we, what we do is we compare how well we're doing but based on what everybody else is doing. And that's dangerous because God has called us uniquely for a specific reason in our life. If you're following along in the devotion, the couple's devotion for you married couples, yesterday's devotion was about God has called you and your family to a specific area, a specific reason, a specific ministry. Not somebody else's ministry. It's the same thing if you're single, if you're a student here. God has called you specifically. You can't compare your calling to somebody else's calling. I mean, it could be real easy for, I'll pick on David and me uh, as pastors here. We, it could be real easy for us to go and look at the largest churches in the entire world and think, man, I want like a smoke machine. I really don't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? It's real. I want to preach 10 services over a weekend. That sounds awful. Three was enough. Um, I mean, it's real easy to compare. I wish that we had, I wish that we had, even as, 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 as a couple, I wish we had, you know, a newer car. I wish we had fill in the blanks. So this thief called comparison moves in and makes us think that what we have isn't enough from God. So you must follow him. You must deny yourself. 
sanctification word that I use about being holy, set apart, following Christ, not comparing, is by denying yourself. Now, denying yourself is not looking at what other people have and comparing, at least not in that way. It's denying yourself of those things that you want deep down inside that you know that you shouldn't have. Those, those desires where, where you see something at the store and you're a shopaholic, so you have to buy and you have to do it. Denying yourself. If you're, on a deni- if you're on a diet, denying yourself of candy and chocolate. Denying yourself uh, for looking at something that does not belong to you. Denying yourself. So if we continue on in, in what Paul is saying specifically, he gives us some, some notes. He says, he says, you must continue to follow him. You must continue to follow Christ. And that is the focus in which he's having for us. He goes on and says... Let your life be built on him, not on your social status. Let your life be built on him. This is not to beat you up really this morning. It's, it's about denying yourself. There's, and, and the great thing about denying yourself is there's no prerequisites. So if you've gone to college or you've tried to get into AP class, if you try to qualify for anything and there, there's all of these qualifications you must meet in order to go, you know, you're not going to take calculus three without getting, you know, one plus one is two down, right? There's a lot of prerequisites, but denying yourself, start immediately. It's, it's one-on-one, the basics. Because there's hope in Christ that you can deny yourself for the things that you think that you want. It's that sanctification, and that's the key. So what is a tangible way to measure whether or not we must follow Christ if we're doing that? It's fruit of the Spirit, right? If there's fruit in our lives. The whole thing about we're not supposed to judge one another. We're not even supposed to judge this whole philo- this whole understanding mindset. But we are called to be fruit inspectors, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, self-denial. Like we are supposed to see this fruit in our own lives and our spouse's lives and our kids' lives and other people's lives. We're supposed to see some kind of change. My illustration with this is, is I, if, I, if I brought in a tree right here and it was an orange tree and I said, here, do you want an apple? You'd be like, go back to Long Beach, bro, right? You're like, that's an apple tree, right? But if I take down this apple and I throw an apple to you, you take a bite of it and it's awful, obviously there's something wrong with this fruit. Same thing with us. So how do we actually do this? Verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him, which I mentioned. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So this is probably one of two of the famous verses that we know uh, from Colossians. The other one is clothe yourself, but we'll get there when we get there. But let your roots grow down into him is the NLT version. Uh, uh, King James is uh, let your roots uh, be rooted uh, let your roots grow. There's different variations. But letting your roots grow down. And the roots, I'm not going to try to teach you about plants or anything like that. But you know that roots gives you life. Uh, the roots are the basic principles of our faith. On the outside, the basics are not that exciting. Or actually, to be honest with you, if you've been a Christian for some time, the basics are not exciting because we think we've already conquered it. But somewhere along the line... We can find that the basics are not all that appealing. I mean, we already know it. 
right? We know the basics of living a Christian life if you've done it for a little bit. Um, Sometimes maybe we only circle back to the basics of Christian living whenever we're discipling or teaching someone, teaching our kids, someone else. But I like what Chuck Swindoll said in a a devotion that he wrote. He He said this, we can't grow up in the Christian life until our spiritual roots grow deep. And growing deep means returning to the basics. He says, I've noticed a pattern in my 50 plus years of ministry. Everyone who succeeds in the Christian life succeeds in the basics. Everyone who fails has, at some point, let the basics slip. It's easy to do. We get in trouble when we admire the fruit on our tree, what we've done, because I just said we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. We admire that more than the roots that we're growing down deep. And when we are more concerned about the shape of our hedges than the nutrition of our soil. So how do you do this? Paul said, let your roots grow down. And, and, and I studied and I looked at the original language and I do that all the time. Uh, I look at the original language, look at uh, smart people to see what they said. And uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit. And a lot of times, most of the time, I don't bring the original language to you simply for the fact that my hope and my desire is that I understand it well enough that I can share it with you without saying the words. But every once in a while... I don't feel like I can move on without really looking at the original language. And I'm not going to pretend to be able to say the original language for root to you. But one thing that, that, that I noticed that I really wanted to take a moment. In the original language, this word root, rooted, it does mean like the gardening, like trees growing roots deep down into the ground. Like That's the image that we have for, for this whole series. But it also... It also means a little bit more than just the roots of a plant. Because it could mean, because sometimes we just think roots grow naturally. But this original sense means the roots, but it also means to build up, to fortify, to tether down. I saw, I saw a southern pastor say, say it this way. He said, uh, to hunker down and grab some dirt. I like that. To hunker down and grab some dirt. And again, the reason that I, I bring this up is because it's, again, it's so easy to fall into this trap of thinking that our roots are just going to grow just because we go to church or just because we hang out with other Christians. But we have to be intentional with our time with God. And again, uh, a little water, uh, you know, I, I prefer plants that, that uh, require as little maintenance as possible. If I'm honest, I like the plants that if you forget to water them for a year, hey, they're still alive. I like those ones. Cactuses is what I'm trying to say. Right? But you know what? Uh, as, 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 as humans, not one of us are low maintenance. We are all high maintenance. No offense, but we all. We all require a lot of attention. We all need to be intentional in our high maintenance with our relationship with God because he's the one who's going to water us and prune us and take care of us. And that's what Paul, again, is trying to really stress. You must do these things. If I was to paraphrase it, I would write it this way. You must do these things because you are high maintenance because that's me. So be again, to be built on him, not on someone else, not in yourself, but be built on Christ. Be planted in the right person. 
And he says this, and he goes on, he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. That, that word capture, you know, be led astray. We were watching the Animal Channel, Animal Planet, Animal something, and I always like the hunting scenes where they kind of hunt and capture and, and do that. So I imagine this is... We're against an enemy. We have an enemy that's trying to lead us astray. And it's not like the medieval times where um, we think it's this dark, evil-looking creature that's coming out of us. I think for us, our enemy is coming at us with the greener grass on the other side. Again, the, the, this, this growing deep, this rooted, hunkering down, grabbing some dirt, this mentality. If we do this, what I've noticed is that people won't like it. The goal is not to be liked. That's hard to say because everyone at some point wants to be liked, right? It's not to be nice. It's to be kind, but it's not to be nice. Nice means to be agreeable. Well, I don't agree with everything that's going on, but I can be kind to everything that's going on. I have found that in my own life, the times that I have looked to be liked is the times that I've gotten into trouble. Because that is the philosophy of this human thinking that Paul is saying. At this time, the Gnostic people specifically were the ones, the smarter you are, the better that you, you get to know Christ, you get to be elevated, you separate yourself. You learn how to do it. People will like you. They will look up to you. But again, the goal is not to be liked. If you're rooted down, it's not to be liked. And if we're and and what I've noticed, especially lately, is this philosophy of being tolerable, tolerance and tolerance. It's it's and you've seen it. I I think maybe perhaps it's more visible now because of social media and the news and everything else, quicker information. But it's as if the world, society is taking the one attribute of God and twisting it around. They're taking the attribute of God as love which he is, but they're changing this word of God's love into God's tolerance and then dropping out God and then saying tolerance, love is tolerance. And then, and then, but even switching tolerance around and mutilating it and warping the meaning of the tolerance. Cause originally the word tolerance is, is you're doing something I don't agree with. I'm doing something you don't agree with. We disagree, but we tolerate each other. We can still be kind. We can still live together. We can put our differences together. But now the tolerance has kind of changed where you have to love everything that I do in order to be tolerance. But what's coming along, what, what, what Paul is saying, that if our roots are so saturated in Christ, none of that will matter because we are so focused on Christ that what people see, that sobering thought, is Christ-likeness. Where we don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing because we're doing it out of true love, God's love. Being on the other side and, and, and feeling that. One of the most loving things that you can do for someone, and I'm going to use the illustration of children, is tell them that they're wrong. Tell them that they did it wrong. Because if you think about it, remember that one time, two times, ten times, a hundred times, if you're like me, someone said, hey, you're doing it wrong, and they saved your bacon? 
right? I remember when I first started working at a dealership and I put a car on the lift and I didn't put the safeties in. Stupid. Someone came along and said, hey, you need safeties. Oh, wow. He said, yeah, that's what it came down and, you know, killed you. I was wrong. He saved my life. The most loving thing sometimes that what we can do is say that you're wrong. And really that's what Christ did, isn't it? He came down and said, you're living your life wrong. You've sinned. You've separated yourself from God. But it's okay. Because I'm going to take that. I'm going to lovingly take it. But being on the other side, again, the most loving thing we can do sometimes is tell someone that they're wrong. That's what God did when we were wrong. But yet he brought us in by his own love, by his son who sent on our behalf. That is why at this church, renewed church. That's why we say, we mean, we believe, and hopefully we act this way. That you can come as you are, but don't leave as you were. Right? We, we want all of us, especially me, especially you, to come in and whatever that burden is, that you lay it at God's feet and you change for him. And you don't do that unless you're rooted down. And here's the truth. Verse 8, he says... Uh, it's what we are fear of happening. He says, uh, from verse eight, he says, do not let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and how, uh, non high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, this weird warp view. And again, going back to those questions or that question that I said, sometimes we ask ourselves as parents, Lord, I'm afraid that I'm doing this wrong. It's the fear that someone, some group, some college, somebody at their work, somebody will influence them and lead them astray. And I really think this is the key, key moment of this. People will not be led astray because you weren't smart enough. People won't be led astray. Your, your children, your friends, your whoever it is that you're close, that you care for, they will not be led astray because you weren't smart enough. They won't be led astray because you couldn't read Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. It's not because you don't have a Bible degree, you don't have a master's degree, you're not a, you don't have a doctorate. It's not because you're not smart enough. It'll, what it will take is people need to see us living out what we say we believe in. That doesn't take any brains. It just shows the importance of Christ in our life. It's to show how important he is in our life. It's, it's how we show grace and mercy, even when we have the right not to show grace and mercy, or at least we think we do. And maybe even more importantly, it's when we own it when we are wrong. So again, it's not because we're not smart enough to talk about Jesus. It's because we, it would be because we're unwilling to. And you don't have to be smart to do it. Again, just sharing your story. And perhaps living a life that shows true self-denial. So when people say, that's a little bit different. And when your kids come to you and say, well, why did you? Why can't we? And it finishes off, Paul finishes off in verse nine, it says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Christ lives in us through his spirit. He's, he's brought us back in union. And now our only response, not to earn salvation, not for anything else, is we must follow him. 
So I wrote down these three thoughts. One, following Christ means more than just believing in him. Following Christ means more than just believing in him. It includes trusting him and obeying him. It includes trusting him and obeying him. So then my question is, what is obeying and trusting in him? Obeying and trusting in God means more than just accepting his truth. It means more than just accepting his truth. It means wanting what God wants for you. Wanting what God wants for you. And what does that mean? What is, what is wanting what God wants? It means denying yourself. Because there's a whole lot of things, if I'm honest, that I would really love to have, that I really thought that I wanted. And I've told you a little bit of my testimony. You know, I really thought that I wanted to be an engineer. That was clearly not what God wanted for me. But did I, did I follow Christ? Yes. Did I believe and trust and obey him? Mostly. Uh, did I do that? Did I want what God wanted for me? Or was I comparing to everybody else? I was comparing. And what does that mean? Denying yourself. And it's such a sweet place when you come to the point ongoing where nothing more is more important to you than your relationship with Christ. Because from there, everything dwells from it. I'll close with this quote by Dallas Willard, a cooler Dallas. It says, uh, the visible world daily bludgeons us with its things and events. They pinch and pull and hammer away at our bodies. Few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes or toast and eggs. But instead of shouting and shoving, the spiritual world whispers at us every so gently. And it appears both at the edges and in the middle of events and the things in the so-called real world of the visible. It's beautiful. So what, what, is, what does God require of us? He wants to have a relationship with us. He's done all the heavy lifting, all the work. So just a couple of thoughts. Stop comparing yourself to what other people have. Be totally dependent on Christ. And see what it means to be denying yourself and seeing what God wants for you, you and your family. To be reminded that we may be the only Christ followers someone sees in a long time. And if we're going to let our roots grow down deep, hunker down and grab some dirt. And really at the, at the heart of this, it's, it's God so desires to have a relationship with us. The whole reason he sent his son to, to die for our sins, to save us, is to continue to be with us. And not just in heaven, but here, here on earth. So that way our roots are grown, that we can share the good news, that we can just simply live our life to the best. Own it when we mess up and be quick with our grace and our mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you so thankful and humble that for you, Lord. Thank you for this small little section in what Paul wrote that we covered this morning, Lord. We know that you saved us, and now, as he says, we must continue to grow in you, and grow in you and not the things of this world, not in ourselves, Lord. Lord, and, and remind us that when we recognize that we're not good enough, that it's okay because you are good enough, Lord. 
Lord, let us live out our faith as best as possible. And when we fall short, be quick to apologize. Ask for your grace and mercy and continue to get up. Lord, we don't want to fake it till we make it with our relationship with you, Lord. We just want to admit it and get back up and continue to strive after you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercies that continue. Not just the moment that you saved us, but ongoing, Lord. Let that be the message that we share with our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our neighbors, our spouses, our brothers and sisters, just the world, Lord, that you love us, that you came down to save us so much, Lord. And our only response is to love you back. Help us grow deeper in you, in a relationship with you, in your word and in prayer, Lord. Let us just spend time, not necessarily dedicating a moment of time where we just totally focus on you, but that our steps through our day is revolved around you. Speak to us now, Lord, and Lord, let us not leave here diff- let us not leave here the same, but let us leave here differently, closer to you and our desire to grow in you. We love you so much. Thank you for saving us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.